This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host, Josh Newberg, and I've got Brendan Sinone, Zach Blostein, and Chris Nee here with me. Nobody's sick. We're here at full strength, and it's Monday morning. We're feeling good. Well, except for Brendan. And we're here to do a little rewatch, recap, um, and also dig into the mailbag. Yesterday, we created a thread on Knowles 24-7 message board, allowing our members to ask a question or two that we want to answer right here today on this podcast. We're going to do it after we get into FSU's loss to NC State. If you remember, it was 28-14. Chris and Brendan, you guys were tasked with the rewatch. What did you learn? You want me to get a first? Okay. Brendan wrote more about it, so he'll take more time. I uh, I learned that what I saw the first time was pretty similar to what I saw the second time. Interior of the offensive line, again, whooped. Marie Smith had a bad game. Wide receivers couldn't do much of anything. Keyshawn Helton was the best of a bunch, but still, just ineffective. Can't do a whole lot. Mackenzie Milton's not the answer at quarterback. FSU's ineffective when they have to use him. Everything FSU does as an offense successfully is completely spurred off of running the ball, which is, you know, built in with Jordan Travis. Um, offensively, 14 drives, 12 of them stunk, for lack of a better term. I guess we could say maybe 11 of them. The turnover on downs drive was probably the third best drive of the game outside the two touchdowns. Um, after the turnover on downs, you know, What's the head shake for? Uh, uh, Richard Griffiths okay. asked him. Just so, keep, hey, you just keep doing you. I'm doing my own show within a show here. Chris. After the turnover on downs, you know, people kind of lost their mind about that. The play call, the idea, it's whatever. FSU is trying to take a shot because they have to at some point to try to close the void that exists. They get them to a third down. It's a field goal situation if they get a stop. Instead, Jerry and Jones misses his second tackle of the game, turns into a touchdown ball game over. That, that's what I took away from the second watch of it. FSU is not a good football team. They're a three and six football team for a reason. They're, they're not very talented. They don't maximize much of anything. Uh, they're fairly incapable of doing most things, and they're bad. When they make a mistake, it's fairly catastrophic. They're not the kind of team that overcomes a handful of mistakes. And when they put a couple of them out there, you know, Jerry and Jones missing two tackles, allowing 100 yards, and basically being a guy that gave away 14 points on the day, they're not overcoming that. That's what I saw in the rewatch. Uh, I'm with Chris. I mean, there's Chris breaking out the truth chopper on us, just unloading the clip, I felt. I tried yeah. to go Sometimes slower, the truth so it hurts. look like an AK. I don't, I don't have a whole lot to add to what Chris said. I mean, it's just not a very talented football team. Uh, the injuries that they've had in some areas that – were just injuries that they couldn't have, mainly along the offensive line. Like Dylan Gibbons not being out there hurts. Devontae Love Taylor still not being 100% hurt. 
hurts. Uh, that exposes Marie Smith, who's regressing. I think what you guys are trying to say is there's a lot to say about this game, but we say it every week. Yeah. That's like what you guys I don't know. want to get on here and seem like you're piling on. Like there is ways that we could break down this game, but it would sound like the same things that we said every week. And the when reason they lose. we say it is because the roster's limited. I mean, you have what you have outside of a couple guys going down like a Dylan Gibbons who can make a big difference. In the last really eight have... quarters of football, FSU has had four drives that I would categorize as being successful or positive. They've scored on all four of those drives. Or I'm sorry, they've scored on three of those four drives, right? No, I guess it was four because they took a field goal. Still, they're just not good offensively. They are quite dreadful offensively. If you if Jordan Travis is in the game and you stop Jordan Travis from running, you stop FSU. If Jordan Travis isn't in the game, FSU pretty much is stopped. Yeah, FSU enters a lot of games, uh, most of its games, with a hand tied behind its back. And... It's just the conversation that we've been having all season. Uh, other than the UNC game where they were Our wide of... receivers sure play like it. <laughs> I just – I'm really bored, I think, with a lot of the conversation that we're having about FSU because it is similar when things aren't going well. And and I'm bored with the way a good chunk of the fan base is viewing this team. It's just exhausting. It's just, it, there, there's a lack of realization. They're probably of, bored with you, Brendan. They probably are. That's why we only have 13 viewers. We usually have about 25. I'm just standing up for the people. Oh, you're a man of the people, Josh. Go drink your maca tea or whatever it is out of your little well, sippy cup. A portion of the fan base is just fed up with the losing. They're 6-12 and 12 now over their last 18 games in the Mike Norvell era. They don't like that. They're tired of it. Then I wholeheartedly get that. I'm tired of watching them suck, too. Yeah. But it, it comes down to you're on basically one of two sides or you haven't picked a side. You think it's going to get better because you think the guy's going to be capable of recruiting, bringing stuff in here, and you look at some of the past success he's had, and you know that he can be better at coaching offense and what we've seen here. You know that the defense should improve if they get better players, so on and so forth. And then the other side is that you don't believe in him. You, you, at this point, 18 games into the regime, don't believe it's going to be successful, and you're going to point to every single bit of ammunition you can, fourth down decision. I don't like it. It's awful. I mean, FSU should just punt it away so they can, you know, get it punted back to them and start with long field and be fairly ineffective offensively again because that's what they just keep doing over and over. Um, You know, you can point to lack of development at positions like linebacker. While linebacker has developed slightly, it's just not talented. You can point to wide receiver. It's not talented. There's a shitty football team out there on the football field. At some point, people need to accept that FSU's talent this year is probably as bad as it's been that I can ever remember. And the I, reason and it's, why it's, it's, it's responsible for no, improving that. Time. Yeah, it is. But no, the no. Reason, it, no, hey, hey, hey let me get this off. job if he doesn't improve it, as does every coach ever. Okay, go ahead, Snow. The reason why the roster isn't good is the same thing that people are trying to make happen, which is that they're trying to – the people that want Mike Norvell and his staff fired – right now or after the season you're just recreating the same hamster in a wheel scenario that you're in right now this roster for fsu standards is awful because you had a coach fall asleep at the wheel and take his foot off the gas whatever analogy you want to use jimbo stopped recruiting at the end of 2017 that puts you in a hole willie taggart came in and had considerably 
he had a fractured roster. He had a roster that had bad chemistry uh, that hadn't been developed in the past year and a half or so, but he had an extensively better roster than he has now. And he did jack squat with it. They got worse with him. The roster talent got worse with him. So you had a uh, one year of poor recruiting under Jimbo Fisher, followed by a transition class with Willie Taggart that proved to be a complete flop. That 2018 class had Asante Samuel Jr., not a whole lot else. Robert Cooper, Amari Gaynor. You've got one guy who's been drafted from that class. Most of that class is gone, is transferred. It isn't doing great at other schools either. Then you come in 2019. That class isn't very good either. And then you come to 2020. That's Mike Norvell's first class. That's another transition class. Those are four classes that should be comp- comprising the top end of your roster that are giving you pretty much Jack Diddley. And that's where we're at. It just I, yeah, I said Jack Diddley. I'm turning into an old man as I talk about this team. So go ahead, fire Mike Norvell right now. Watch what happens. Go ahead. Uh, watch, this, watch what happens. It's just it's the just. Decision, I'm going to save you from yourself. The decision in the first 12 months was to gut the the guys that were viewed as guys that weren't in on what they were trying to accomplish. Which people applauded that. at the time. And it was probably sensible because you're never going to start over if you don't start over. The issue with that is you kick off a guy like a Corey Durden, and I'm no lover of Corey Durden, and he didn't do a whole lot on Saturday. <coughs> no, Chris is, Chris he, is dying. But he's a guy who's capable of starting at this level. But you send him elsewhere because you feel like that's what's needed, and he also felt like that was what was needed for him. And he went to NC State and he's doing what he's doing. But you had to do that. But the issue there is that now a guy like Malcolm Rain, who, who's gotten better, improving, playing better ball, and had a heck of a good play on Saturday and has played better in recent weeks, is now forced into being your third best D tackle on your roster because of injury. After him, it falls off a cliff. Jarrett Jackson is your next guy up, and we can all act like that's a great story. But Jarrett Jackson is still a massive project. So there's another position that we can talk about. FSU is not deep anywhere. Is there a single position on this roster where you think the fourth player is really good? There isn't. Is there any position where you feel like the second player probably should be a starter? There's probably a few of those, but not very many. It's not a good roster. It hasn't been a good roster in a really long time. This is rock bottom, God, I sound like Sinone, of this roster. <laughs> I am not patient zero of the flu bug. Flu bug I promise. It, it yeah. was well in existence before me. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think you guys are just uh, kind of fed up of talking about this nine weeks in a row. And yeah, I'm, just not I'm much... ready for the next three weeks to come and go. Yeah, and I'm not. Then, I'm... We, then there's a chance to improve the roster. That's what the offseason is for. <laughs> That's when the moves are made. You know, there's just nothing. There's no moves to be made nine weeks into a season when you have major deficiencies and big games still to play. I mean, it is what it is. I know there's a massive segment that doesn't, doesn't want to hear the next words out of my mouth. I've believed since the moment Mike Norvell got hired for multiple reasons. One, because of what the team and roster was. And two, because of financials, that he was always going to be judged ultimately by 2023. That That is the crucial year. And trust me, I don't want to get to 2023 at this rate and be, you know, say go one and two the rest of this way, this way. So they're seven and 14 in his time here. And then next year they go, you know, five and seven. So that's what, 12 and 19 i don't want to be that after three years i don't want to have to sit through 31 games that are that crappy like i don't i don't enjoy it i don't want to see it and as an alumni university i'm not a fan of the idea either but 2023 i think is ultimately what judges them because if it doesn't work and you get to that point you're no longer paying another head coach but till we get there i i just i think all that discussion 
is sort of a waste of time and it, it's exhausting truthfully. And it, the roster has to get better. You nailed it in the Sunday uh, post or I'm sorry, Saturday post game pod, Josh, when we were talking about the portal, how they have to value every single portal pick they make and they have to do it a little bit differently than they did last time that they want to see an improvement with regards to that, because this roster needs a drastic infusion of immediate contributors that can help them be better. And they need a drastic infusion of guys that can give them depth, multiple years development and create the roster that ultimately you hope to be in your fourth, fifth year of being at a program. All right, Chris, we'll strap in buddy. Cause it's mailbag time. Mailbag. All right. We'll start it off with a little bit of football. We got some recruiting questions. Um, Daba0106 wants to know, is Jordan Travis the day one starter next year? Yes. I believe that the staff is going to enter this offseason building around him. Unless some, some surefire upgrade presents itself and falls from the sky to your lap. Like, yes, I think that Jordan Travis is probably the starter next year. Goal right now is get Duffy in. After that, I'd love for them to go to portal and find somebody that can throw the ball vertically and get downfield consistently and be a good passer. Um, and then let the battle play out as it does would be my preference. I don't want to just hand them the title. No, for competition is a good thing. You have to manage it better than you did this year. Um, I think they were kind of betwixt and between with Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis in the beginning of the year. And those guys missing portions of camp didn't help. Uh, but look at what the first four games brought us in terms of just inconsistency and not having an identity or anything stabilized. You have to know what you're what you're going to be if you're going to bring in a transfer quarterback, and, and there has to be a clear pecking order, in my opinion. All right, yeah, if uh, Tate Rodemaker and Jordan Travis and A.J. Duffy it makes up the QB room heading into next year, then yes, Jordan Travis is the day one starter. Um, Sunday Gold wants to know... <laughs> Does Travis get us to a bowl in 2022? I think oh, that's so. This, yeah, that's next. That's next I, year. I always get it confused because of recruiting classes. Um, that's <laughs> next season. Yeah. I Listen, I think FSU is it. We've talked about this before. When, you know, to get to the, the win little stage, the first is you lose big, then you lose little. We're in lose little right now. And uh, that's uncomfortable for people. They don't like losing. This is kind of what you signed up for this year. Really, this team is about just one game off from what we thought it would be at this portion. Unfortunately, you know, that one game was Jacksonville State. Like, this program isn't far off. I think the coaching staff's actually doing a good job. So, with, with Jordan Travis, largely, generally, uh, with what they have. Um, if you upgrade the pieces around Jordan, if the offensive line gets help in the portal, if you're able to get uh, a transfer wide receiver who actually helps you, and then you have to re-solidify the defensive line, then, yeah, like this is probably a, a bowl-eligible team next year. So non-conference next year is LSU in New Orleans, Florida here, Louisiana here, also a pretty soft one to open the schedule on the year. And then ACC-wise, Georgia Tech is the crossover game. I believe this time around it's at Tech. I can't remember for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I don't think that schedule is as difficult as this year was. Um, and I, I guess my attempted optimistic view is that there's enough of a slight improvement that, yeah, they can become bowl eligible, but they're going to have the D line such a key to that entire conversation. They're going to have to figure something out there, especially if they lose one or two of those interior guys, in addition to two defensive ends. 
this uh, question has Brendan names written all over it. Sue Myth wants to know, with all the negativity among the fan base surrounding wins and losses, the actual progress on the field is often overlooked or ignored. What are the most salient metrics, in your opinion, pointing to improvements on both sides of the ball? I feel like only you can answer this. <laughs> there are plenty of numbers out there that show that FSU is better on offense and defense uh, through S&P Plus, which Josh didn't know what the S&P Plus was until like a week ago when I told him. It's crazy. Still don't. <laughs> uh, the FEI also shows improvement across the board. Like FSU is legitimately getting better. Uh, it's not translating to wins, which is where the frustration is to the fan base. And I understand that. Um, the metrics that I would look at though, when you're trying to say like, is this team moving in the right direction? Look at like opponents this year and last year and what you've done, you know, comparatively and even in losses. So you lost, you've lost to Notre Dame. You've lost to Louisville. You've lost to Clemson. You've lost to NC state. You've been competitive more or less in every single one of those games. NC state, you lose by 14 to, but you're within that game in the fourth quarter. Clemson, you're obviously you're leading in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame, you have to come back and you send it to overtime. And Louisville, uh, you're, I guess they didn't play Clemson last year. So that point doesn't exist with Clemson, but they would have gotten housed by Clemson last year. So to Notre Dame, uh, that game in overtime, that's closer than it was a year ago when it was a 10-point game. Louisville, you're not competitive in the second half in that game. You're playing backups this year. You're competitive in the fourth quarter. NC State, you're again, you're not competitive uh, into the second half last year. This year, uh, you are, and you have a chance to, to tie the game in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, just they're getting better. Whether it's good enough is open for debate. And I'm interested in having that conversation, guys. I'm not interested in the conversation of, of whether teams getting better or not. It is getting better. That That's factual. It's hard to debate. All right. The Veer and Shoot wants to know, is Alex Atkins still someone you think is doing a, quote, great job? Um, I think having seen everything this season from Alex Atkins, I think everything that we said – you know, all the great things we said about him. We should say that even louder and more often after seeing the group of offensive linemen that he has to work with every week. I think outside of the, you know, decision that comes from the top from Mike Norvell to not take more transfer portal options uh, in the offseason, outside of that, I mean, Alex Atkins is like, is a miracle worker. Yep, he's doing a very good job. Uh, what do you want to say? Great, very good. He's a asset to this program. They started Brady Scott this past week. I don't want to it's like I, I'm not trying to take such shots at Brady Scott. He's not a FSU caliber offensive lineman. I don't know if he's a group of five caliber offensive lineman at this stage in his career and the way he's developed. I just I don't know. And you're playing him and you're being forced to play him against a really good defensive front. And he still scored 14 points. Like it just they're just people don't know what they're looking at. They've they've improved a lot. I mean, there's been uh, what one or two games where they have where they didn't give up a sack. I mean, there's games where like we didn't even talk about the offensive line, which is the best thing that we can do for them right now. They've been such a detriment to this team. There's been multiple games where you know, not only have they been average, but they've been maybe even above average. Darius Washington has had a great season uh, for like where he was. He's come along. Dylan Gibbons, who's been playing through back injury all season, has I mean, they won, an, they won an ACC Office Lineman of the Week award. It was the first time since what, Chris? 2015? Roderick Johnson. 
So that was that's 2015. Exact year, but that probably would have been 20, yeah, 2015 or 15 or 16 for him when he was he was last year in 16. So, I mean, there there is growth. Robert Scott's been dealing with injuries, but he's been solid. He's been fine. Uh, Maurice Smith's the only guy who I think is, has regressed throughout the season that hasn't gotten better. And Devontae Love Taylor's been hurt. So, I don't know. Zach, they want you to say line they, has they, been bad for four straight O-line coaches at some point. I think it's just sort of, you know, the players. And I know that guy can recruit. And I know he's going after players. So, yeah, he's doing a great job. Keep doing that. Zach, All right, we'll throw a recruiting question in here. We want to make sure Zach's alive. All right, we'll get him in here. Um, Zach, Bloom24 wants to know, what is the single most important position to hit on this offseason that will help us reach that elusive six wins next year? Wide receiver, offensive tackle, what do you think? I, you know, as far as if you're dealing with next year specifically, I think it's receiver, right? Like you got to go land Kevin Coleman because um, he's an immediate uh, plug-and-play guy probably at that position. Whereas like I don't think there's an offensive lineman that they're currently in on that is – that can, you know – Right, impact, impact the, the team next year. Yeah, next year. Yeah. So I think uh, sure. receiver for sure. They need to, you know – rework that room completely. Uh, obviously, you know, they haven't done a great job this season, but um, with Devon Mortimer, um, who's a guy can, who can create some separation, um, but they definitely need to add a few others. And, you know, Kevin Coleman's on the board, and then you got a new target and like like Camden Brown, who's a, you know, bigger body guy. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be up this weekend for the Miami game for his uh, official visit. All right. Yeah, I think – to answer Bloom's question, what is the most important position to hit on this offseason that will help us reach six wins next year? I'm going to say something controversial here, but it's quarterback. There's no way to get to, to, to improve your team faster in this day and age of football than improving the quarterback position and improving it drastically. I mean, you you go in the portal and you find yourself a bona fide starting quarterback that was, you know, disgruntled, unhappy, whatever it is, you bring him in. This, this team gets instantly better. I mean, it makes everybody better. Um, I don't know if they're going to do that. With the caveat to plan. the caveat though, is you need to but also that's the upgrade fastest way to do it. The offensive line and the wide receivers in the portal as well to make that worthwhile, unless you get a prodigy. Unless you get Jameis Winston or someone in the transfer portal, which isn't happening, everything else has to get better too. Um, Starts with quarterback, then it's O line, D line. It always has been. It always will be. Right, if you can block stick- it up and you got a guy who can dish it, your receivers can be mediocre to bad, and they're still going to look good because the guy can make them look good. Stick with recruiting here. Hasselhoff, Noel, twenty-two. Does FSU ultimately pursue a transfer QB after Duffy signs? It would be a monumental mistake if they don't, in my opinion. Um, as of now, that's not the plan. Talk to sources. You know, I don't check in every hour, every day. But when Chubba Purdy went into the portal, I did ask if this changes anything on potentially grabbing a portal QB. I was told no. But again, um, we'll just take this week by week. You know, we'll, or we'll take it month by month. I should say because I think. If Duffy is signed and on campus, you know, the attitude could change. So, but I'm not predicting that. Don't hold me to it. All right, let's stay on recruiting. Uh, Joe Rogers, 113. 
can A.J. Duffy take control of the QB room and start running the offense that Norvell wants to run? Is he good enough to change the faith of the program? Zach, yes, on that but one? I'm not convinced he is going to, and I'm not convinced he can do it quickly. Like, that's a hell of a lot to put on any incoming player. That's a problem for FSU. We all want him to get better, but the solutions are all 18, 19-year-old kids for the most part beyond transfer portal types, and they usually aren't ready to do it out of the gate. It's tough to throw a guy in the fire. So sit and wait. That's what we get to do. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I guess, you know, as far as Duffy making immediate impact, he'll be there in the spring. So that's a plus. Gets in the program, gets, you know, acclimated to everything. Um, but I don't personally see him as a guy that, that can, you know, compete for the starting job year one. Uh, he's definitely going to need to develop some under Kenny Dillingham and Mike Norvell. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Jordan Travis, if if the QB room stays the same with A.J. Duffy added on, I think in 2021, Jordan Travis is the clear starter. Um, but obviously, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I'm, agreement, I'm, I'm in agreement with Josh that they need, they need to go and find a guy in the portal because they don't have a guy currently on the roster that can, you know, stretch the field vertically. Um, I don't the think they need I don't I'm not saying they need to like I don't I, I guess they kind of need to but like I, I'm not suggesting that it's make or break I'm just saying the fastest way to improve a team is through the quarterback position and I don't think Jordan Travis is going to get that incrementally better from from 21 to 22 to to like really impact this team but anyway um I believe in AJ Duffy. I just don't believe he's an instant impact guy. You know, having seen him a couple times in the offseason and seen him play at IMG, um, I think he's got a lot of the tools, but I don't think he's one of these can't miss guys that's ready to step in and play on day one. I think it's going to take him, I think it's going to take him two springs. And luckily, he's an early enrollee. So he gets that first spring here in a couple months. Um, let's flip it back to the football side or the team side of things. Mari Usad has a buyer Sinone here with what we heard buyer Sinone with what we heard a healthy Purdy would have started the Georgia tech game in 2020 instead of Blackman. This is 2020. What was Purdy here in 2020? Last yeah. Year? He, oh, had yeah, the, yeah, yeah he had the shoulder injury. No, he was. So not. hold on. So Sinone. what we heard if Purdy was healthy last year, I got to go way back to last year. I thought he was going to ask you if he would have started this game. Would Purdy have started the Georgia Tech game in 2020 instead of Blackman? Sinone. Sinone, I think this is a column for you this week. I mean, actually. it's named after you. You should definitely, you know, take the namesake. Sinone. It actually would probably get a lot of clicks, Zachary. You know what? We're going chasing clickbait. The, I don't understand. We talked about – bigger point here. We talked about Chubba Purdy on the podcast last week and wrote about, like, what, why – he left right and people keep asking and this isn't to this this specific user uh people keep asking what happened we've addressed it he didn't think he was going to play here the staff didn't think he was going to play here the message got to him he decided he wanted to go somewhere else and play i don't know what I else to tell I, you I, I don't i just right, but I, buddy Noel has a question brendan let's see if this will change your mood uh what changes or improvements do we need to win these close games next year Ooh, um, better players, better, 
Better well, I think players, a go-to whatever. wide receiver would help. You know, somebody that you can go to on third and seven across the middle that you know is going to. Man, all right. So or help you avoid third and seven. So, yeah. all, right. all right. Real quick, uh, I was rambling earlier. FSU lost to Notre Dame, Louisville, and NC State by combined 25 points this season. Last year, it was 64 points to those three teams. Uh, Jacksonville State game doesn't count because that was an atrocity, and we've talked about that. So it does count, but it doesn't in this exercise. All right. So I wanted to talk about a sequence here that I think is telling to like what the coaching staff is getting criticized for. It was the fourth down call that Mike Norvell had to go for it against NC state. I don't want to get into the, like, should he have gone for it? Shouldn't he have gone for it? I want to get into what led to that situation. And they did, they got into second and four and they went to an empty set two times on second and four, third and four. They did that to declare similar to against what Clemson was going to do. Say, Hey, this is what we're going to see. This is where our matchups are going to be. And they get man-to-man looks both times. The first play, uh, the well, so, so third and four, I want to get to first because it's a gimme. It's Treshawn Ward is lined up in the slot. He's one of your best athletes, uh, which is, again, telling to the roster that, that a converted walk-on is probably your second or third best offensive player. He's lined up one-on-one with a linebacker, a matchup as an offensive coordinator you feel great about, right? He's in the slot. He gets the linebacker one-on-one. He slips coming out of his route, uh, gets covered up by the linebacker, and that play is dead. Uh, the play before that was a slant pattern. Again, you make him declare it's one-on-one. Uh, Darren Williamson drops a bad pass by McKenzie Milton. It's just like, and it, it's there. Like Darren Williamson's open. Uh, McKenzie Milton's able to lead him and put it in the right spot. Maybe it's a catch, but he puts it behind him. Darren Williamson can't hang on to it, and it's a catch they still should make. That brings you to fourth and four. Fourth and four, you have trips wide receivers again. You make them declare once again. It's man-to-man once again. Notice in the theme, FSU can't pass against man-to-man coverage. You don't have guys who can beat it. You can't scheme up things if your guys can't win one-on-one and man-on-man. Your wide receiver in the slot gets jammed, pushed backwards, and that allows NC State to be aggressive and attack the ball. Pokey Wilson doesn't make a good play for it. It's incomplete. Like, there you go. So you're losing a close game. As Chris said, you don't want to get into third and sevens in these you know, bad math situations. Anyways, my point being is that you just don't have the guys who can bail you out of it right now. It doesn't matter what you're calling, what you're scheming up by and large every single game. There's nuance here. The coaching staff can do better in some areas, but I think by and large FSU isn't getting pencil whipped every week. I think they are doing the pencil whipping more often than not. It's a good in-game staff, maybe not elite one, but they're pretty well prepared and well coached more times than not. People don't want to digest that information that's what's happening but that is largely what's happening any better players that's where we're at fsu didn't win in a single man situation on third down on saturday there you go i think the only third downs they won were against them and they were two of 16 some right, Chris? right yeah just like they were like three of 20 and or four of 20 i guess it was in crucial down situations i just it, like this is this is Matt in, in, in the bad. chat. Like, Matt, what am I saying that's disrespectful to Ward? Ward has had a good season. Okay. So we got in the chat. This is disrespectful to Ward. Players can improve. Yeah. Treshawn Ward has improved. I'm just saying that's where we're at as a, as a program right now is that a guy whose best offer coming out was Maryland is, and that wasn't necessarily even a, a legitimate offer, is your, your second most productive player. I just, I don't know, guys. Josh said this in the in the offseason. FSU's wide receivers, their best wide receivers, are probably number threes on other teams. Keyshawn Helton, Ontario Wilson, 
that just that keeps showing itself and like people want different results and, and are mad when you lose. But wouldn't you be happy? That's what I was saying. Wouldn't you be happy if Keyshawn Helton was your three or four or if Ontario yeah. Wilson was your three yes. or four and you had yeah. a dominant one and two? I mean, that's what they are like skill wise, uh, just measurables, every speed, ability that, to catch the football. They're three, four talent wide receivers playing in the one and two spots. That's true. A lot of positions on FSC's football team. Matt, when never mind, I'm not gonna get into it. If Trayshawn uh, Ward's I don't your, know Trayshawn, what you're doing. If Trayshawn Ward is your second best player, you're a three and six football team. I just don't I know. Just and it's not a knock on Trayshawn Ward. He's he's fine, he's serviceable. He shouldn't be your second best player on offense if you want to be a winning football program. The coaching staff is being judged by these little minutiae moments on Saturdays. It's gonna what's gonna matter is whether they get Travis Hunter in here, whether they get Sam McCall in there, whether AJ Duffy proves to be a solid quarterback in year two, whether they hit on the transfer portal and get wide receivers who can play on Sundays, not one who rides the pine. That's what this coaching staff is going to be judged on next year, not what's happening on fourth and four. The people focusing on the new show drive me crazy. I just can't do it. I just I can't do it. So FSU scored twice. They score on a wildcat. They score on a scramble, broken play, where Milton does a great job of finishing the play, and Helen does a great job of continuing to play and then making the catch. That's how FSU scored. Both on good drives. By far the best drives of the day is for FSU. <laughs> yeah. Crescent Daniel still sees PT. That's our talent level. Mark, maker mark, man. Maker mark. Um, throws that out there. Yeah, it's a good point. Jordan Wilson had arguably FSU's best reception of the day on Saturday. I believe it was a 35-yarder down the seam, if I recall correctly. Longest of his career. That's where they are. They're not a good football team. They're not a talented football team. Can the coaching be better? Sure. I'm not here to defend the coaches to death by any stretch. I think there are deficiencies within the coaching staff personally on both sides of the ball. But yeah. it's not a talented football team. They're, Jimmy and Joe's matter more than anything. Kirby Smart nailed it after the UF game. It's a God honest truth. It's been true for the 20 years I've been doing this. It's going to be true for the 20 years after I stopped doing this. It's going to be true 20 years after Zach stops doing this. It comes down to players. You have to have good players consistently to win. And you have to – you can have talent. FSU has some talent. Some. Not a lot. They don't have a good team. Good teams yeah. win football games. FSU isn't a good team. FSU has lost one game this season that they should have won where they had a sizable talent advantage. And we've documented that. That was a disaster. Other than that, people are getting mad that they're not winning games that they go into as underdogs. In, and I just, you know. And you're being competitive in those games. All right. Yeah, I typically like to rip through these mailbag questions <laughs> real fast. But I feel like today's today is really just a therapy session for Brendan in guise of a mailbag. So I'm just kind of letting thank you hijack this. So so all right, we'll get back to it. This is helpful. Canoon Canoon 25. How close was Sinone from the cliff, cliff? Because on the podcast, he sounded like he was at the very edge. Um, I'm here to report that he is still there dangling from the cliff on the, that very edge that you speak of. Um, all right. Savvy's Noel wants to know, how will a record of three and nine be viewed by the higher ups? Beyond disappointing, uh, Chris, what do you think? How, how will it be viewed? This goes back a little bit to the point I made about 2023 being the crucial year. I think financially, it, it's sort of what it is. They they are in a full-blown rebuild. I think that is understood by those within the hierarchy. I don't think there's any major pressure in the sense of on Mike Norvell. Now, is there 
an analysis of the coaching staff, the roster, all of that, that has to be done without a shadow of a doubt. Yes, that's always true after any football season, good or bad for any program ever. Will that result in changes? It might. And that's going to be the most interesting storyline of the offseason is, one, how does FSU go about changing a roster? And two, does FSU make any other changes when it comes to those managing that roster? Yeah. I think it's a good question because I think there is a portion of the fan base that does want to know, hey, we, we're winning three games this season. Is our coach going to get fired? And, no. you know, we were on the pulse of it when it was Willie's time to go. And I can tell you right now, there's no underlying current. There's no, there's nothing, there's no buzz. There's nothing that would lead me to believe that Mike Norvell will not be coaching this team next year. But I can understand, you know, why why fans would ask that question and i haven't even heard of like pressure of like oh he needs to make a coordinator change or he needs to make uh you know flip a staff on this side of ball i haven't heard any of that i think it's very much the keys are in mike norvell's hands it's his decisions to make and he's going to be judged down the road when the time comes within this rebuild that he's been put at the helm of i think there there are some boosters who are antsy and want you know, we're going to turn to the coordinators because that's we talked about this before. There'll be that's coaching how, change this season. This but season. that doesn't necessarily mean it happened. Just because boosters want it to happen doesn't mean, you know, some want it to happen. Others are fine. Listen, I've talked to someone the other day who at the very – someone who would know the pulse of most boosters, like the the ideas that like Mike Norvell, they, they feel like he is the right guy for the job and he just needs to continue to allow his process to play out. That might change, like if they lose, if they get drummed against Miami this week, and you lose to Florida, a lifeless Florida team. Like, you know, people's opinions might start changing in the next couple of weeks with the rivalries coming up. Like that does exist, like as a possibility. But right now, like people are uh, aren't happy with three wins, but I think they see the big picture of where Mike Norvell is taking the program. A little bit of Sinone's soul came back to his body when he said the word "lifeless Florida team." I saw that. I saw it happen in real time. Florida making some big changes today. They fire their offensive coordinator or their defensive coordinator and their offensive line coach over the weekend. So some changes in Gainesville. Uh, JBZ7, if the 2013 team and this team switch QBs, what would their record be? I got the 2013 team with seven wins. What do you got? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, the 2013 team with Jordan Travis, so Sands Jameis Winston. I mean, so you have that NFL caliber offensive line, NFL caliber backs, NFL wide receivers, NFL tight end. Give me seven. Uh, no. It'd probably be ten. You probably lose two two games, maybe. Um, maybe not. You might still run the table and just not blow everyone out and be historically good. What happens the other side if you put Jameis Winston on this year's team with this offensive line and these wide receivers? How many Give more me wins? Seven. All right. That would be the most talented wing T offense ever in 2013. I mean, then they'd be playing against a wing T Auburn team for a national championship. It'd be two wing T's going at it. Just cutting it up. Uh, I don't I mean, yeah, Jameis Winston would make a, a prodigious quarterback would make a difference uh, on this roster. Yes. And just his whole like personality and whatnot too, but there'd be a couple losses there. All right. Why are there so many first and second year head coaches having much more success despite taking over programs nearly as bad or worse? Arkansas, Tennessee sucks. Oh, I don't know if I'd put South Carolina in there. Ole Miss, Michigan State, and I'm sure I'm missing one or two. Brendan, what are the answers? Well, I'll, I'll say Brendan a moment. He can collect his thoughts. You have to do it on a program by program basis. 
Michigan yeah, State just... nailed the portal and did a very good job. They they more than any team in the country nailed the portal. Um, Tennessee, I'm surprised by, truthfully, but I think Hendon Hooker has given them a nice shot in the arm. Quarterback plays kind of elevated a team that lost two to three dozen players because there was a mass exodus there. It's surprising. They've exceeded expectations. Uh, Josh, Miss, Heupel was, Josh Heupel was good in first year at, at UCF. Let's see how that one plays out as he gets to recruit a little bit, boys. That's all I'm saying. Ole Miss, great offense. Yeah, it's what Lane Kiffin does. Not real shocked by that. I do think, again, Matt Coral, great quarterback. That probably helps a hell of a lot. Uh, who are some of the other teams we used as examples here? Arkansas. Again, a slight surprise. Sam Pittman did a good job of kind of fixing their trenches immediately. I think that's made a difference offensively. Defensively, great D.C. on that team. That certainly has helped the cause as well. Um, but, you know, I, I I think you can point to those teams having certain strengths. Uh, Correll over a guy like Hooker, but Hooker still helps. You know, Arkansas being better on the lines. Michigan State hitting in the portal and getting some guys that helped them drastically starting with the running back out of Wake Forest. I think those are big reasons. They, there's talent that's helped those teams succeed at some point. And they've also gotten positive momentum, and that that does matter. FSU at no point outside of three-game win streak has had any kind of positive momentum in two years. And truthfully, they're more often ramming their head into a wall during the momentum than succeeding because of it. Yep. Chris had good points. I don't have a whole lot to add to that. I know we're trying to move along here. Okay. Uh, Sunday Gold wants to know what's more important to the success of next season, signing an impact linebacker like the Saint or Tolan or signing an impact pass rusher like MJJ or, or Nigel E. Kelly. Let's that go. Yeah, there pass we go. Rusher for sure. Um, in my opinion, I, I think because you have Kier and, and Jermaine leaving after this season. Um, I mean, if they can land in like a, a guy like Nigel E. Kelly or Marvin Jones Jr., or someone of that caliber, I think um, it, it would be an immediate talent infusion into that room, and they don't have to go scrambling for a you know impact guy in the portal right away. Um, kind of uh, turn to high school talent for once, um, which we haven't really seen a ton in Mike Norvell's tenure yet. And I think um, you know at the linebacker position, I think that's a, a position um, they need to hit the portal harder at. Uh, you know, we saw them explore a few options in the um, you know last season, and even um, I think recently they've been been you know talking up some of the guys that have been entering the portal. Nothing serious yet, but um, you know I think I still think obviously you know Wesley Besaint, Demario Tolan, Daniel Martin are guys that they you know Chris Marv has to land one of those guys, um, yeah. and I'm not sure that any of those guys are are plug and play, um, you know, extremely elite talent um that, that can come and help you next year but down the line they're they're all really solid um options yeah you got to start backfilling those those positions of need even as you hit the portal because like you said you know look at defensive end you bring in a jermaine johnson but he leaves the next year so it's like you you have to start backfilling with quality high school talent as well as supplementing with the portal um brendan this is a good question uh kev from porto from Puerto, there's no Rico, but I'm 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 assuming that's where he's from. Um, would you be able to clarify the transfer rule? No, I don't know. I thought you guys were going to answer that. I don't know what he's going to ask there. Knowing that Purdy 
B Rob and Dante have all entered the portal. Do we pocket those scholars if they transfer after the season? Does it matter if they transfer? Does they're not just, on the roster anymore. They're not I on think the roster, right? It's so like gone. It, I mean, they have those scholarships used. Maybe he's asking for the twenty-five plus seven rule, and I don't know the answer to that. I thought one of their. I thought you guys would know. That's why I put that. Up. I I honestly have not at, had the conversation of what's the max number we're going to see in this class. Uh, at this point, I'm more keeping an eye on who they're keeping, who they're losing of the, what, 16, 17 commitments they have um, than worrying about we're not, that. We're Por- not to squeeze time yet. Like, there's no reason. Yeah. Like, Portal season I mean, for us no, is going to be no issue on Monday after right Florida. Now. Yeah. I mean, we're a month away from early signing period. Like, it, it, we're, it's almost time. Yeah, but early signing period, you're not going to know numbers by then. What? They're not going to fill their class in the early. They're not. Oh, they're like, no, but, but, oh, that's what I'm yeah. trying to say. There's going to be no crunch. Like we're not going to worry about a numbers crunch on early signing day. That's what I'm speak, speak for They're currently after keeps dwindling because of commitments elsewhere, things of that sort. Mm-hmm. And it's more about keeping what they have and potentially adding a handful of others. You know, the, the names we always talk about: Marvin Jones, Nigel Kelly, those types. Wesley and also the portal. I mean, the portal is going to be popping. All the way through May. Yeah, but you but we've seen this year like the impactful guys came in in January. Kier Thomas, Jermaine Johnson, culturally Mackenzie Milton. Um, you know that's yeah. January's well after. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you. I thought you meant that they were going to try to get these guys in for the early signing period. You were saying early signing period, but all yeah, right. yeah I'm transfers will be all the way through Bye, Bye. the winter. Oh, the audio is so much better. To, Brendan, are you trying to get me into a game of the numbers don't always? Yes, this is exactly out? what because I was there's only do. there's only one ending to this game, and it's that the numbers always work out. Mm-hmm. That's true. All right. Luxamac wants to know if we can pull out a win this weekend, who will have to show up? Wait. <laughs> uh, Miami. Who has if to play we can well pull to be out Miami? the win this weekend? Who will have to show up? Also, what will the effects be on recruiting from this game with a win not exactly sure what this means well um i think he's talking about miami that game's coming up this week it's miami hate week. no but i mean if we can pull it out with a win who will have to show up he means like uh, which players are going to have to play well oh i thought it was i thought he was asking about recruits um i mean yeah it will have a big impact on recruits because they're going to have a great time it's going to be a 330 kickoff and um a win is going to just elevate that experience we've seen fsu put on a great experience, even in a loss against Notre Dame. So imagine what a win's going to do for that. I mean, we've confirmed four official visitors to this point. We expect there to be probably another two dozen unofficial visitors. So it'll be one of the biggest events of the season outside of the Notre Dame game. Um, and really FSU's last in-season chance to put on one of these environments. So they're they're putting a lot into this game. Um, we'll have more on Knowles 24-7 all week in terms of the recruiting angle. But, yeah, there, there's a lot going on here. Uh, Zach, anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, like you said, a couple official visitors coming in, a um, bunch of unofficials that I'm still working on confirming. But a win versus Miami would be huge um, just because, you know, simply they're going against a lot of – or they're going against Miami with a lot of – these recruits look at Wesley Besaint, for example, he's making a decision in probably two weeks from now. Um, you know, Miami and FSU have always been viewed as kind of the two teams. You got UF in there now, who seems like a real threat, but 
but look what they're you know doing on the field. It's not great. Um, so I think FSU's still in that one, and a win would be massive, especially with you know Wesley in attendance on the FSU, you know, recruit in the FSU recruit section. So um they just they need to win my like this Miami game. Like that, that in my opinion, that's like one of the ways that you see the vision of Mike Norvell, you know, come into effect because obviously they've had a bunch of trials and you know tribulations throughout this whole season um on the field and they, they just need this one rivalry win that they haven't had in so long to kind of point to um on the recruiting front and i think this miami game is a great opportunity obviously miami's playing a lot better football than they have been um you know earlier in the season but i think with jordan travis healthy florida state has a shot to beat miami all right avf 03 with the last question of the day he wants to know question for josh who is more fun to troll manny or danny um i'll go with daniel mullen for me i get i get more out of but i don't really the trolls write themselves. They just, I'm just the Twitter vessel that they come out on. I don't, I don't write these trolls. These coaches troll themselves. Josh, are um, you disappointed by how bad Miami's trolls are? They're just not good. I don't, I don't see a Miami troll out there that hurts my feelings or anything like this that. week. I mean, I don't, I haven't really seen. Much. I mean, they'll probably, if they beat FSU by 30 points, like, yeah, then they'll probably be good trolls. But there's a lot of good, like, just kind of like an echo chamber. I just don't think they're very original. So I'm like, not it's, really it's not a good fan base. Not, I, I haven't really dabbled in Kane Twitter. Maybe I'll take a look this week, but um, they're yeah, all kind of. I try to stay away from there. But anyway, if you guys want to get your questions answered on the podcast, sign up for Knowles 24 7. When we do these mailbags, we allow people to ask the questions. And if we didn't answer a question here, you can always ask it on the message board at any time. For Chris Nee, for Brendan Sinone, for Zach Velostein, I am Josh Newberg, and thank you for listening to On the Bench.